0: Welcome to the Anxiety at Work podcast. I'm Chester Elton, and this is my dear friend and co-author, Adrian Gostick.
1: We hope that the time you're gonna spend with us will help remove the stigma of anxiety and mental health in the workplace and your personal life. And we're gonna invite experts from the world of work and life to give us ideas, and most importantly, tools to deal with anxiety in our world.
0: And we want to give a special shout out to our sponsor, Life Guides. Life Guides offers a community of trained and certified guides who provide guidance in 400 plus topics of personal growth, lifelong learning, and life challenges. They're a strategic people offering by leading employers across all industries. They provide employees with an experienced and empathetic support with a guide, a personal guide, across a broad range of everyday life events. Employees lead happier and more productive lives both at home and at work. They have a mission to impact the lives of over a billion people in the next 15 years. Now, because you're listening to our podcast, you get two months free access for your team today by entering code 2422 at checkout. Well, our guest today is our friend, Michelle Tellis-Letterman. Michelle is a fellow member of Marshall Goldsmith's 100 Coaches and is a recovering CPA who spent many years in finance. She eventually, followed executive, she eventually founded Executive Essentials, a training company that provides communications and leadership programs. Michelle is the author of four books, including The Connector's Advantage, the 11 Laws of likability: Heroes Get Hired, and Nail the Interview, Land the Job. Michelle received her MBA from Columbia Business School and is a fellow New Jersey resident and, I hope, a New Jersey Devils hockey fan. Michelle, welcome to our Humble Podcast.
2: Thanks for having me. And as for the Devils, when I was 15 years old, I got to ice skate with them because they practiced in my hometown. I love it. But I can't say I watch a whole lot of hockey, but that was a pretty cool experience.
0: <laughs>
1: See, well, <laughs> and, and when, you know, we grew up in Canada, so you just say skate. You don't say ice, because there's no other kind of
0: skating. There's yeah. no other kind of skating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we have an expression, Michelle, once a devil, always
2: a devil. So there you go. <laughs> Uh, I, I got my horns on. <laughs> well, hey,
1: thanks for joining us today, Michelle. We, we've been friends for a long time, We're working with uh, with Marshall Goldsmith, and I love this. You've mentioned to to us that you're often asked, and you struggle to answer the question about your biggest failure. I just thought this was really fun, and in a, in a you know in a form about anxiety, you know, failure sometimes can carry a, a lot of weight with it. Many of us are terrified of failure, especially if you have any preponderance towards uh, anxiety. It can lead to perfectionism, et cetera. So tell us your take on failure and how we can overcome our fear of failure.
2: You're so right. I actually, um, I I always... Not just struggled, I actually hated the question failure because I'm so sensitive to language. and I think language impacts how we think about the things that we do as well as ourselves. And when we use the word failure in relation to ourselves, we are judging ourselves. And so I don't actually believe in the concept of failure. i I think that, you know, if you said, what's your biggest failure?" I'm like, I, I haven't had any. I have done things that didn't go out as well as I would have liked, but then I figured out something from them. So, Their perspective of, you know, I've had some great learning experiences, like my first book that um, I almost gave up on because the feedback was 17 pages of everything I did that was wrong. But that wasn't a failure. That was an opportunity. And I think if we switch the language in our head around um, judgment language to neutral, actionable or positive language, we will also shift how we think.
0: You know, that is so interesting. You know, you talk about I've never failed. I just had a failure this morning. (laughs) I got my time zones mixed up for a coaching, you know, um, appointment. And it's so funny how I looked at that as a failure and I thought, oh, my gosh, what a horrible way to start my day. And then I realized that the guy I'm coaching is a good, good friend. And it's not a bother to him. He's going to forgive me for it. It's going to be okay. So is, is that the concept you're talking about? Don't look at it as a failure. Say, look, it was a moment in time. It's something that happened. We learn from what we move on. Th- did I get that right? Because I'm having failure syndrome right now, Michelle. you got to yes. help me.
2: <laughs> I love that. So um, there's a saying in Portuguese, a mistake is a mistake when you make it twice. Right? We all make mistakes. It's not. I'm not saying I haven't done things that I wish I had done differently. Um, but I'm choosing to look at them as opportunity to learn from them, and the idea of you know I've I've messed up time zones myself there Chester, <laughs> um, and now I'm really conscious of putting EST every time I send time zones to people. But you know what we we all have this human error of um, you know imperfection, and that. Embracing of imperfection is what makes us relatable and authentic and likable, even.
1: Yeah, I, likability. I Adrian, that question
2: when I was doing, uh, oh, can you not hear
1: me?
0: I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to say this likability thing is really interesting. Adrian, take it away.
1: <laughs> oh, sorry. No, 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 no. Sorry. Go ahead, Chess. You you finish your question. Let's let's. Uh, sorry, uh, Brent. You'll have to cut with that part. We we spoke over each other. Yeah, I, I stepped all over you my fault,
0: Adrian. It was uh, a failure. What can I say? Um, <laughs> you, you know, your, your books are about connecting and likability, issues that don't, don't really get enough attention. In the hybrid world that we're in, how can people build connections when everybody seems so far away? You know, again, just this morning, talking to my wife, I said, you know, a lot of us have this problem where we want everybody to like us. We want to please everyone. And now in this hybrid world, where we're disconnected, how do you how do you keep those connections deep and vibrant?
2: Oh my God, there's so many things I want to talk about. There, <laughs> um, you know, one was the the I think you also called it an epidemic of wanting to be liked, and as if that's a problem. And people are like, "Do you want to be liked or respected?" And I'm like, "Those two things are not mutually exclusive." Um, it took me actually a while to accept. And embrace the fact that I wanted to be liked. That's not a bad thing or a dirty word. Um, It's the idea of being liked is to feel connection, to feel understood, to feel heard, to feel valued, to feel embraced. So, um, one, I just kind of wanted to address that thing because it's a double-edged sword. Especially for women in business, Um, there is a correlation or a um, inverse correlation between success and likability for women, and there's. You know, so many studies and and I will not take us down that tangent because I wanted to address what you said about this hybrid world we're living in. And I do think um, that this time of social isolation, um, or I should say physical distancing, has opened doors to a different type of connection you know, I mean, and we're examples of it. Being in the Marshall Goldsmith 100 community, where we got on the phone almost every day for months, and then we got on the phone once or twice a week. And and I haven't met so many of the 100 coaches, but yet I feel connected because of the frequency, because of the technology where, you know, even though they can only hear us right now, we can see each other. And there's something to the visual component of connection. So I think it's given us a lot of reasons to reach out. It has opened up um, our eyes to what's behind our screen, right? So I never put on a green screen. Um, The dogs have come in. You know, like letting people see into the window of who we are allows us to find additional points of connection. So I think it actually can create deeper roots,
1: you know, that's an interesting way of thinking about, uh, you know, things, Michelle, is actually embracing this versus, oh, my gosh, one more Zoom meeting. Is, is, is there a way to, yeah. So, you know, you write about a lot of the things that, you know, sometimes we don't really address. Like, you know, one of the things I love that you've talked about is public speaking and how that can be such a fear. And I see that in so many people. You know, you look at a Chester Elton. If there's a microphone in the room, he is drawn to it like a <laughs> moth to a flame, right? But... But for many people, uh, you know, public, why do we, why do so
2: many people have this fear? And
1: more importantly, how do they get over it, do you think?
2: You know, it's funny. um, I'm one of those people. When I was younger in high school, I was absolutely terrified of public speaking. And all those people who ran for student council and had to give a speech in front of the whole school, I'm thinking, no way, never, not me, no thanks. Why would anybody want to do that was kind of my philosophy, Roll forward 30 years, who would have thought I would have been doing this for a living? So, um, one of the things I always say about public speaking is it can be learned, it doesn't have to be loved to be learned. I now love it, (laughs) Um, but I had all of those fears. And so there's behavioral, there is mental, um, there's physical ways that we can counter, and there's even pharmaceutical ways, but I don't go there. Um, (laughs) But there's ways that we can counter the aspects of fear that we feel. And it's first about understanding how fear manifests for you, right? So I'll, I'll put myself out there. I was the girl who, in my junior year of high school, took the public speaking class because I didn't like being afraid, and the feedback I received was, your voice shakes, you talk a mile a minute, of course, right? I'm from Jersey, Chester, (laughs) we We get get that, that, And (laughs) and your voice can't be heard past the third row. And it was, you know, the three things that I've never forgotten that were said to me. And so... what do do you do? Okay, so if my voice shakes, what is that telling me? It's telling me that the adrenaline is focused there, so you need to stretch the muscles of where the shake exists. So there's different physical techniques that you can do to counter it. I might do a big, hello! I won't do it to your guys' ears because it would hurt, um, but that stretches the vocal muscles. If my hands shake, I might just be doing some fist clenching or pressing of a pen um, so that I can kind of tire out those muscles. If it's my legs shaking, I do a little butt squeeze here and a butt squeeze there or a toe (laughs) squeeze here and a toe squeeze there. And so we counter the things that are happening for us. So um, those are some of the physical things that we might do. When it was um, you know fear of the audience. And honestly, why are people afraid? They're afraid of um, the judgment. They're afraid of the rejection. They're afraid of Um, feeling awkward, stupid, you know, not being perfect, all of those things that you said before. And so we need to remind ourselves that you set the tone for your audience. And you um, are the person in charge of making them comfortable. So I can tell you a really embarrassing story of me in front of an audience (laughs) Um, and it was, I was, I'm a former professor of NYU. I used to teach in their business school and I had part-time MBA students. Now, MBA students are very critical. (laughs) I am one. I was one. I get it. And I'm trying to be dramatic. My first class, 10 minutes into the class, I climb on this table and I'm talking about perspective and communications. And then I'm thinking, well, how am I getting off this table? (laughs) So I shimmy to the side and what happens was... All my weight on the side of the table, the table flipped. All the papers went flying, and so did I, off the table. And, you know, I, I fell on the floor. I get up, and I look at, you know, I mean, can you imagine somebody who's afraid of public speaking falls on her face in front of an audience? And what do I do? I got up, and I went, excitement! <laughs> and everyone laughed. And some the guys You know, tried to pick up the papers and get the table. I'm hmm, that hurts. I kind of hurt myself there. I said, okay, now who's embarrassed for me? And nobody would raise their hand. I said, come on, guys. Did you see that? I just fell off a table. Who's embarrassed for me? That was God. Can you imagine? Nobody raised their hand. I go, why? Why aren't you embarrassed for me? And they said, well, you seem okay with it. (laughs) Right? You you know what's fun. I turned it into a teachable moment.
0: Yeah, and you know what's funny about that? The students probably thought it was all staged. <laughs> they probably even thought, well, that's just part of it. Yes. She does that every first class, right?
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Part of the TikTok, uh, yeah, YouTube world. She's just, yeah, <laughs> that's great.
2: I've never done it again and never did it before. Um, it, it was painful. I did land on my wrist. Um, but that's the point. When you think about those fears, your audience is typically... You know, 99% of the time, they're not out to get you. They want you to succeed. And you set that tone. If you're okay with it, they're okay with it.
0: You know, that's such great advice. And and I, I've given people that advice too, m- mostly myself. So do you honestly think those people that have paid money to come to a conference that are sitting and want you to fail? No, they want you to be amazing. Like they're cheering for you. They really are. Hey, how can people... F-
2: Absolutely. And I have... Oh, sorry. I was going to say I have so many more stories about like when my shoe got stuck in the stage and I had to pull it off because <laughs> I got stuck and I couldn't. Like, I mean, my when I was pregnant speaking, I would bump into things because I couldn't see like, you know, tons of stories and you just roll with it. Yeah, I wish it's, something it's,
1: embarrassing had ever happened to us, Jess. Yeah, yeah It was yeah. such a shame, right?
0: You know, it, <laughs> is, it is one of the reasons that Adrian and I do not wear high heels when we present. You know, you exactly, get stuck in yeah. the stage. It's, uh, it's, 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 it's a rule. And we've, all, we've all
1: had this happen, though. Yeah, absolutely. So I love your vulnerability. Yeah.
0: yeah. Hey, where can we find more about your work? Where would you send people to? Websites, TikTok, whatever. Let us know.
2: Definitely not TikTok. Um, and thank you for asking that question. I love to hear from, from the audiences. Um, the best place is my website, which is Michelle with two L's, Tillis, T-I-L-L-I-S, Letterman, dot ncom From there, you can get to my blog, my YouTube channel, my LinkedIn. My hi, I just launched my LinkedIn newsletter yesterday. Very excited. Um, so LinkedIn is my favorite of the social media platforms, and uh, I get... I give lots of freebies away on my website. So come join my community too. That's great.
0: Hey, you're an expert in the uh, job search and interview process as well. You talk about anxiety. You know, you're trying to get the job. You're worried about not having a job. How can uh, people best navigate that process? Do you, do you have any tips how they can like, like nail the interview?
2: <laughs> well, that's actually the title of one of my books. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, you know, the, the interview process is really um, five kind of distinct little phases. And one of the things I will say is the most important phase for you in managing your anxiety is the first phase, which is just rapport building. And that moment of, you know, I know we're not doing a lot of in-person interviews these days, but there is still that rapport building portion where you do the chit chat, where you comment on something behind their head or what they're wearing or the weather or what it is. Because when we're doing an interview, they're really only trying to figure out three things about you. Can you do the job? Do you want to do the job? And do I want to do the job with you? Right? Do you fit in our culture? And so the do I want to do the job with you is the key to that opening rapport building moment. And I used to say when I would do the in-person interviews, I'd never sit there and look at my phone. I actually, like, I would say, don't even bring your phone on an interview because it's so distracting. Instead, I would look at what's on the table. I would talk to a receptionist. I'd look out the window at the view. I would look at the shelves and see what they have on display because it gave me something or someone to talk to. And that reduces the anxiety of the moment. When you distract yourself, when you engage in conversation and you display your curiosity, It almost feels like an exhale and we can relax into the conversation, which is really all an interview is. Yeah, we
1: we tend to, you know, get so worked up, so anxious and nervous. It's just like public speaking. It's people know it. They smell it on you. And can you have some confidence? It's not life and death. Um, so what kind of leads us to, to the next thing I wanted to talk to you about was this idea of likability you wrote the book the 11 laws of likability and so you know I was thinking about this this is such an interesting one I think back when we were all kids there were people in the world who were sort of universally liked uh, you know you had Mother Teresa you when Oprah came out I think everybody liked her at the beginning uh, and then all these divisions started in the world and I don't like this person because of this or this so what can we learn about likability and how do we apply this in our lives, given all the divisions we're facing right now?
2: You know, it was such an interesting idea. And um, when you said there were people universally liked, the person that went to my head was Bill Cosby. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he, he was everybody's dad, right? And and roll forward years and and how things have changed. Um One of the things I always say when people ask about this topic is you can't make everyone like you. And that's okay. And that's hard to accept. But that's something we all need to accept. You cannot make everybody like you. And what you can do, though, is enable people to see what is likable about you. And that's the shift I want us to make in our thinking. Because, you know, you know what it's like to be on a stage and to be in front of people and to know you're not going to get everybody. And what happens when, you know, when I was starting out, I would hyper-focus on the person I thought I was losing in the audience, right? When I had small groups and doing training and there's, you know, 30 people in the room and I knew this person just wasn't with me, instead of focusing on the 95% of the people in the room that are with you. And all you can do is enable them to to adapt and to flex momentarily, adjust your style so that they can see beyond something that isn't working for them. But you can't force it. So um, I think that's something that can reduce our anxiety. And I will tell you, it certainly helped reduce mine when I would say if 90% get me and appreciate it, I'm okay letting that 10% go.
0: Let it go. Yeah, we, we hear that a lot from our friend Marshall Goldsmith, and we just let it go. Not everybody's gonna like you. yeah, and and, that, and that's okay. Hey, we're always interested in self-care tactics, you know, rituals, things that that you do to take care of your mental health and your anxiety. can you Can you talk us through some of the things that that you do to to keep yourself grounded that might help some of our listeners as well?
2: Boy, if this is not probably the hardest question you're going to ask me today. Um, And I will say it's, it's something I struggle with. I am somebody who I would consider has a monkey brain. I have since childhood really struggled to... Um, not do many things at once. Like as a kid, I would play solitaire with a deck of cards while watching TV or I would do my photo albums. Now I'm playing Candy Crush or (laughs) Wordle, you know, or whatever the game is while I'm watching TV. I can't just sit and do nothing. I have tried, I've gone to meditation classes. I've tried all these things. And I think what, when I think about self-care, it is just saying about self-choice. And for me, it is calming to do two things at once. Um, so, for example, today I was on the Peloton. And so I will say one self-care thing that I've tried to do now is not book any calls before 10 a.m. so that I can have my morning for the Peloton and to make sure I actually eat breakfast. And those were things that never happened before. So that is a self-care thing. But the multitasking for me feels so... Great. It makes me feel energized. So I took a call while on the Peloton. Right. And then I listened to a webinar while I had breakfast. And so I felt like, oh, I feel so productive. And that gives me that permission to not take a call until 10 a.m.
1: Well, I love that you've found what works for you, because a lot of times we say, you know what you need to do? You need to meditate. You know, and it's like, I've tried that and it doesn't work. No, no, you need to keep trying. And, and what I love <laughs> is that you're saying is, now find the thing that works for you. And you've found that, which would be a little counterintuitive, right?
2: Yes. I mean, I'm sure everyone's like, keep trying to meditate. And I, I've <laughs> tried it. And my son, who is like hyper and anxiety ridden like me, um, actually, both of my kids have been diagnosed with anxiety disorders. Um, you know, it, it's it's little things that I can say, okay, so here's what I try. And he's like, well, that doesn't work for me. And I'm like, okay, so what have you found is working for you? You know, because it is it is. It's so individual. And this anxiety thing is... Not the same for any two people.
1: So so profound. this has been such a a great conversation, Michelle, and we knew it would be. So hey, if you had to tell our listeners a couple of takeaways you would like them to uh, to maybe leave with today, what would they be from our from our conversation or your work in general?
2: So for me, my heart is always about connection, and I do feel that our anxiety and our um, results, are all driven through our relationships. So when we have people in our lives that we can have as sounding boards, when we have people in our lives that help talk us off the ledge, when we have people in our lives that are cheering us on and giving us that confidence when sometimes we don't have it in ourselves, that is everything. And we are going to be happier, healthier. I mean, social isolation is an absolute epidemic and it is harder on you and your health and your mortality that if as if you smoked 15 cigarettes a day for 10 years, or if you had obesity. So eat, drink, smoke, as long as you got good relationships, you are good to go. So just keep connecting. This is not
0: health advice, anybody, by the way. No. No. You know, I don't think we've ever had anybody give us the advice that we should go out, eat badly, drink and smoke. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, this is a first. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> uh, the view as long as you're doing it with friends
2: uh, you're, you're you're gonna feel good right.
1: the views of michelle tiller letterman by the way are may not be the views of uh, <laughs> the anxiety <at> work podcast <laughs> no that's great advice it is it's fun and uh, hey this has been just such fun to uh, to get to know you even better michelle
2: likewise
1: Well, just such an insightful conversation with Michelle Tillis Letterman. Um, You know, I love, first off, talking about failure because, you know, if you have anxiety, if you even have tendencies towards any sort of stress in your life, failure is something you avoid at all costs. And I love this idea that she says of mistake is a mistake when you make it twice. We've got to change the language
0: around that, right? Well, and she very specifically called out women in the workplace, that women feel that added pressure to be perfect all the time, and then she gave us a couple of her personal practices, which I thought was so great. She goes, "I never use the green screen. If the dogs come in, the dogs come in. I, I want to be very transparent and, and have some fun with it. You know, uh, you and I've had, uh, you know, uh, presentations we're making, and you know, my granddaughter wanders in the room or whatever. You Kind of go look. Life is life. Don't worry about being perfect. And then she does say." It's only a mistake if you make it twice. You know, everybody makes mistakes. Let's coach you up and, and get it there. Well, what else did you uh, take away? Uh,
1: you know, I, I, as a likability expert, I mean, you know, she so she does a lot of work in helping people get hired, et cetera. Yeah. And so, you know, this whole idea about would you rather be liked or respected? It reminds me of Michael Scott, you know, would you rather be loved or feared? <laughs> well, I want them to fear how much they love me, he right. says. I you <laughs> <laughs> yeah I want both. Yeah, sometimes you can. Um, but we've always said, look, those two things are actually quite connected. You know, it's very hard to respect somebody you don't like and vice versa. So, you know, as you think about this, as you think about likability, you know, one of the things, the hard things that we have to accept that Michelle talked about is not everybody's going to like you. You know, if you get to 90 percent, you're doing really well in life. And we see that with all the division out there. You know, is there a politician who's universally loved? No. If somebody can get to 51 percent, they're feeling great.
0: Yeah. You know, she talked about her public speaking fears as well, you know, that she actually took a class and the feedback she got was horrible, that she'd basically never be a great public speaker. And she said, isn't it interesting on that likability scale as well, when we're presenting, who do we focus on? We focus on like the three people in the room that aren't paying attention. Huge mistake. Focus on the 97 people that are, you know, and that they're actually cheering for you. You know, people don't want to come to a presentation and have you fail. They want to come to a presentation and say, hey, that was that was great. They, they literally are cheering for you, right?
1: Same with job hirings. You know, the, the person who's interviewing wants you to do well. <laughs> they want you to be the one, right? They're not coming there hoping that you 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 suck. And uh, I love <laughs> three things that they're looking for. Can you do the job? Do you want to do the job? And would I want to do the job with you? Now, that last one's actually kind of important, right? Because we do tend to forget that, We're trying to create a connection here and sometimes we're so businesslike and so focused and they're tossing us little, little, uh, you know, little lobs to see if we'll hit them out of the park with a little levity, a little lightness. And sometimes that's hard when we're all so nervous, right?
0: Yeah. And she said, look, just pay attention to, you know, what they're talking about, what's on their desk and so on, just to build a little bit of a rapport to have some kind of connection because that likability does go a long way. I mean, how many times have we seen in organizations, even ones that we have led, where a person with great talent, you know, can really rub everybody else the wrong way. And even though there's a great talent there, it just doesn't mesh with the team and it's not worth trying to manage around them. Get people together that actually enjoy being together you're going to be more productive. You can have a better place to work. Great. Uh,
1: It really was Uh, great takeaways from Michelle. I think probably my last one, just as she was talking about what makes her calm is multitasking. Uh, We've (laughs) never heard that before. Never heard that before, but I love the self-awareness that look, we're all are very different. And when people tell us, well, you need to do this or that, um, no, I need to do what works for me. And and that's the secret of anxiety is figuring out what will bring you to the present. Maybe it's gardening. Maybe it's meditation. (laughs) But maybe it's going running a marathon, you know, figure it out for
0: you. You know, it's so funny. You know, I talk about my dad a lot. And it was kind of interesting when she said multitasking. I remember my dad loved to doodle in meetings. And they were quite elaborate. Actually, I wish I'd saved more of them, you know, and he'd add color and the whole bit. And and he said people would call me out on it. And he would literally say, I listen better when I doodle. He listens better when he multitests. So to your point... Find out what your thing is. And And in
1: meetings, I listen better when my eyes are closed. And it looks like I'm sleeping, but no, no, no. So if you see me that way, just just know.
0: So when you're really engaged is when the drool starts to come down? (laughs) That is
1: double engaged. Hey, we want to thank everybody for for joining us today, for listening in to our producer, Brent Klein, uh, to Christy Lawrence, who helps us find amazing guests like Michelle, and to all of you who've listened in.
0: You bet. Join our community. We thrive together Great a safe place to talk about your mental health and get some support there. And by the way, if you liked our podcast, uh, our podcast, please share it. Give us a little feedback. Five stars if you can. And if you hated it, you know, keep it to yourself. Um, send it to your friends. Uh, there's lots of people out there struggling, looking for resources. And of course, uh, pick up a copy of our book, Anxiety at Work, eight strategies on how to deal with all these situations we talk about. Some great resources there as well. Well, thanks so much for giving us your time, giving us your attention. And uh, Adrian, one last word of wisdom as we (laughs) head into the evening. Well,
1: we wish you nothing but the best of mental health as you go through this weekend and through this week. Thanks, everybody, for joining us.
0: You bet. Take care.